Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes are King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard to talk about how they wrote, recorded, and produced the albums KG and LW. King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard are an Australian genre-defying rock band known for exploring various styles within a psych-prog jazz folk world of their own construction. Led by vocalist and guitarist Stu McKenzie, the band is made up of keyboard and harmonica player Ambrose Kenny Smith, guitarist Cook Craig and Joey Walker, bassist Lucas Harwood, drummer Michael Kavanagh, and until recently, additional drummer Eric Moore. From their Melbourne beginnings jamming as friends, it wasn't until they were asked to play a gig that they decided to properly form as a band. With multiple name ideas flying around, including Gizzard Gizzard and Lizard King, they compromised and in 2010, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard was born. In 2011, the band released their first two EPs and a year later, their debut album 12 Bar Brews was released on their own flightless label. The album reached number 14 on the Australian charts and earned the band recognition for their mastery of unconventional recording techniques, including recording with multiple iPhones dotted around a room. The band's prolific and inquisitive nature has led them to continue to release albums at a frenetic pace, including releasing five albums in 2017, four of which reached top 10 positions in the Australian album charts that year. During this time, their live reputation grew across the world, with their two-drummer, twin guitar and occasional flute onslaught leading to rave reviews and a devoted fan base that celebrated the Gizverse on all its many levels and layers. Over their 10 years, they have released 17 studio albums, two compilation albums, numerous films and seven live albums, capturing the energetic spectacle of their concerts and tours. Today, once again due to the COVID lockdown, I'm at home in Morden, South London, and Stu from the band joins me from his home in Melbourne, Australia. And what better way to start our conversation than by hearing something from the record? This is Minimum Brain Size. Minimum brain size. It is King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard from KG. And I'm very pleased to say that Stu McKenzie from King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard is with me today to talk about both KG and LW, the two latest albums by the band. Hello, Stu. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for being part of Tape Notes. And we're connecting via the World Wide Web. Woo-hoo. You're in Melbourne, That's I'm right. assuming. Yeah. And I'm in London. Um, and we're at the opposite end of the day. So I'm in the morning and you're just edging into evenings. About eight o'clock your time? 8.30. Who would have thought? Yeah, it's great. So we're going to hop from one album to the other. Um, but am I right in thinking that these two albums that's kind of straddle 2020 and 2021 in terms of release. But am I right in thinking that they were both created at the same time? They were and they weren't. 
you know, there's a lot of crossover and obviously they're in the same world sonically. The concept and everything is is two records, but we didn't set out to make two records. We set out to make some music and we wrote a lot more songs than we expected. Um, once a bunch started to come together, we sort of grouped them together and finished them off first. So KG did come together earlier, but, you know, there are songs on LW which were written well before songs on KG and, and vice versa. So yes and no, but they're a pair. Yeah, yeah. And I guess like for so many artists, but um, especially for, for you, 2020 created a lot of challenges for you and you had to adapt and adopt different ways of working, especially for a band like yourselves who are such a keen live band and, and the live element is so important. Um, you were all stranded in, in lockdown. And is that how you recorded these two records then? The initial seed of the record came pre-COVID. And a handful of these songs, um, for example, Automation, Honey, Plura, Straws in the Wind, were songs that uh, had their genesis in jams with real people in the same room, you know, <laughs> yeah. without masks on, like <laughs> the real feel and, and the sweat and the synergy. But more or less, this record was made in lockdown. And that was yeah. something that we had to learn to do, which was honestly really fun eventually it just required a little pain and a little perseverance yeah um we we did work it out though in the end it's funny a lot of us live very close together like within a couple of hundred meters of each other you know so it's like instead of being in the same room we're just like just around the block but we're all working on the same thing at the same time yeah i suppose i mean some groups you know they're all in the same building doing exactly that but you just happen to be a few roads away from each other. Right. What's the difference? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So um, I think maybe let's hear a, a little bit of automation because automation is the first song we're going to talk about. And you know, where should we start? I mean, are you going to play us a, a little demo first or, or maybe the whole thing? Or you know, what, what are you going to do? Like I said, this was one that started pre... It had a genesis pre-lockdown. Pre and um, when we were... Starting to toy with the idea of making another microtonal record. You know, we had made one kind of like microtonally based record before. I don't know if that requires a whole backstory and a, and a whole well, I think explanation it will probably to come out. With. I mean, people have been comparing these two albums with Flying Microtonal Banana, which came out in 2017. And part of, of the approach to that album, and I think these albums, is that you wanted to embrace more Eastern tuning and an Eastern scale to the music? I mean, the concept was we, we refretted uh, guitars and bass guitars and retuned keyboards and harmonicas and whatever instruments that we could to hit notes between the notes. So it's all tuned microtonally. There's kind of notes outside of the Western sphere. This record, we wanted to expand a little bit. With FMB, we wanted, or Flying Rack Banana, we wanted it to sound like a thing. But this record, yeah. we wanted to sound colorful and free and varied which I think ultimately was the reason that we wrote so many songs is because we let it be outside the box. So we're messing around with microtonal tunings and it is still the core of the songwriting, but um, it's more freeform. There's a lot of different scales, or more, more varied scales on their own FMB and more varied feels and textures and sounds and sonics and stuff. Yeah. Um, anyway, getting back to automation, as I said, this was one that came together early in a real room with real people playing real instruments at the same time. 
uh, it was a three piece kind of jam and it was never really anything. It was kind of, I don't know. I think we may have just come back from tour or something and we're sort of like packing up or putting away gear or something. And, and, um, there happened to be a couple of mics laying around and Cavs and Joe and I were just jamming on like a groove. And, uh, I just like plugged a laptop in and clicked record because it was all kind of there. And I didn't really think too much of it until we were making music in lockdown. Yeah. And I was scouring through recordings, trying to find things that had a live feel because I missed it at this stage. And we hadn't worked out how to be a band again. And I found this recording. I could never find the actual multi-track session. It might have been recorded on someone else's computer or something because all I have is like a bounce down, like a mix down. It's just two tracks. Yeah. But anyway, that became the basis for the song. So all I did was I cut it up a little bit. It's a shit recording. Like it's ter- it's all, everything's stuck together and it's like whatever. The mix is strange and weird and everything. But um, automation is just overdubs on top of that track. That's the drum track, that's the bass track, and that's the rhythm guitar track. Originally taken from that jam that you were having. Yeah, yeah. it's just the jam. When I play the jam, it's just like the song. <laughs> but a bit, <laughs> I've cut out a few sections and um, kind of like EQ'd it and tightened it up and then just like overdubbed the fuck over it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we've got to hear it then. Let's play it. Sounds great. You know, it's a tight power trio version of King Gizzard. I mean, that's why I came back to it. I think when we tracked it at the time, it was like, oh yeah, that's cool. I forgot about it instantly, you know? Yeah. And then I come back to it and I think, oh yeah, that's the reason I recorded it. I liked it. Or that's the reason why I like spent the time micing up my stuff, which is real annoying and boring. Like there's always a reason. There's always something in there. And most of the time I hate something as soon as I make it. But if I give it enough air, often I can come back to it and think, oh yeah, that's all right. Yeah. This was one of those. And is it important then for you to cut that amount of time before setting that up? So you've got to make it as easy as possible to capture that otherwise you'll get annoyed with yourself and and won't yeah i'm all about making things as easy as possible when it comes to getting the idea from your head to the page or from your head to the screen or your head to the tape machine or the whatever you need to do to get the idea out of your head and into a tangible place i mean easier said than done of course but um you know 
I like easy stuff when it comes to creativity. That's my jam. Yeah. Well, I mean, this sounds effortless, as so much <laughs> King Gizzard stuff does in, in a way. But you took the basis of this jam months later, returned to it and started to, as you were explaining, um, cut it up and then play on top of it. So what did you think it needed? Um, it needed everything <laughs> to me. I mean, if I look at the session, I mean, you know, for a King Giz track, there isn't a phenomenal amount of overdubs in this but there's additional percussion, there's maracas and um, tambourines and hand claps and things like that. Actually, I haven't na labeled anything in my session, which is classic me, so I have no idea what I'm looking at. I have to audition <laughs> it or play it. There's vocals, there's more guitars, which are all tuned microtonally. There's mellotrons, which are resampled, repitched microtonally. There's harmonica, which we repitched microtonally as well. There's a few synths, but... Um, and so when you're re-pitching those things, are you doing that afterwards or are you doing it beforehand so that you can get it right? It depends. With key stuff, one keyboard we use a lot on this record and FMB, and, and we have live a lot for microtonal stuff, is a Yamaha DX7. It's like a classic keyboard, but they're not overly cool anymore, which means that they're really cheap. But there's like a million of them in existence. Like every secondhand music store has like six of them and they're all discount and no one will buy them. But you can repitch every single individual note, which you can't really do on very many modern synthesizers. It's very cool. It's very hard and awkward because it's like very, very, very early digital. You feel like you're a um, computer scientist or like some programmer trying to pitch the notes. You're like got to get inside the computer it's got an led screen it's like one centimeter big anyway there's that uh mellotron stuff which of course is um they're of course samples in themselves so sampling them re-pitching the notes you want to re-pitch loading them back into a keyboard we we're using like an, a nord which you can kind of do fairly easily with that stuff where you can just there's also a lot of just like get it back in ableton or logic or whatever and then they're played as a midi keyboard play those samples back there's a lot of that on this record. Yeah. And so can you play us examples of the different elements that you're introducing then to this this jam that you recorded? Here's um some loose hand claps. There's some percussion. It's very loose. Here it is with the uh It's just adding a little flavor. Then we've got some uh, fuzzed out guitars, sound like that. Which probably sounds pretty cool together like this. And then we get some vocals coming in. And so with these words, I mean, are these all inspired by the music in any way or are they more inspired by the overall statement that you want to make about things i'm talking about ai probably being 
more intelligent than us eventually and probably taking over. Like, I know I sound like a psycho, but like, it's probably going to happen, right? And um, I guess this is my Pledge Allegiance song. It's like, if you take over and I'm still alive, I'm with you. I'm not against you. It's cool. Don't kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, I mean, does that link to the rest of the words that are on KG and then in turn LG? Not really. I mean, we've made our fair share of concept records or mm. records that have a narrative that's clear. That's really fun to do. Um, we didn't want to do that with these records because to me, it wasn't in the spirit of the rainbow, like colorful idea of letting it be free um, yeah. and letting it go in whatever direction it wanted and letting each song have its own sound and its own texture, which we usually don't do. Usually when we make a record, it's like every song has to fit. It's like a puzzle. You know, and sometimes we're making a record and we write a song or a song comes together that we're so excited about. And it's just like, how do we make this fit into the record? And you've just got to say, this can't be on this record. And it's heartbreaking because you're so excited about it. Eventually that song will find a place. And sometimes it takes years. And that has happened with, with us a lot of times. But this one was like, no, anything that you're excited about is on this record. You know, go with the microtonal theme, but... Any feel, any vibe, any lyric, it's cool. It's rainbow. Yeah. And so those bits that you were just playing us, the sections that you added to the original jam, how did you go about creating those in terms of when you listened to that jam and you'd cut it up into the sections that you wanted and you wanted to add other colours to it, do you turn to different members of the band and say, right, what I want you to do is do your thing that you do with your bass or your thing that you do with your guitar? I rarely, rarely do that. There are occasions when I will hit someone up and say, this is so your thing. But usually King Giz is just sort of free for anyone to contribute as much or as little as they would like, depending on the circumstance or how much they're into the particular project. It means that there are always awkward conversations because you can't have everyone's opinion all of the time but we try our best to respect each other and be as democratic as possible. Um, yeah, ultimately it means I sometimes have to cut something that someone is really proud of. But I hope everyone in the band knows that I will always listen to whatever they think and whatever, yeah, whatever anyone sort of like puts forward is always considered. It is hard. Like I kind of see my role as producer in like an old fashioned sense as well. I'm trying to just get the best out of everyone. And um, yeah, you know, I, I'm really lucky to play with with the other five because it's a super talented bunch. And, you know, often if someone didn't contribute something themselves, they have a strong opinion on what one of the other guys might have played as well. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of opinions, but um, somehow we make it work. And I think it's because we love each other heaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to segue slightly to something that you touched on at the very, very start of your question, because I remembered something that I'd forgotten when I was putting this together. There is another demo of this song. We actually released it. Um, it sounds nothing like this at all. It's only the same lyrics. Yeah. So the lyrics for the song that ended up on KG were, were demoed. That's right. With the idea that they might be part of Infest the Rat's Nest. But then you took those lyrics and put them to this music. That's right. So how this came together was... I remember 
going through old recordings, just coming, trying to come up with ideas for this microtonal record, stumbling across this jam and thinking, actually, that's kind of dope. I forgot about that. We should do something with that. Oh yeah, I've also got these lyrics that I really liked that we cut. And the lyrics are sort of phrased differently, melodically differently to the Infest the Rat's Nest Eyes version. But um, it sort of just came out of an ad lib of the lyrics over a different jam. And then I think I just chopped it up, moved it around till it felt right, then overdubbed. Yeah. yeah. I don't usually work that way, by the way. That was an unusual way to work. I don't usually work that way. Right. Okay. It's because of COVID because, right. you know, usually I'd say to the guys, let's get back together. Let's jam again. Let's try and fuse these ideas. It would have ended up completely differently. It might have been better. It might have been worse. I don't know. But it wouldn't have ended up like this. Yeah. Which I'm proud of. Like, I'm proud of the fact that we've made a record which is idiosyncratically ISO life. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I still think that um, it still sounds like you all playing together in a room, even though you weren't. I mean, obviously, you did at one point before this all happened and, and you, you know, were starting on the journey to these records at that point. But, you know, the way that you've recorded these individual parts it still has that kind of loose approach to things, you know, that makes it feel as if you're all playing together. We've been playing together in a room for, for 10 years. Like, mm. I think that's what it is. We're not leaning into a loose thing. I think we just, we've played with each other for so long. I think it's the only way we know how now. Yeah. And in some ways, that means that whatever you do will always come out as King Gizzard because you're cool. so in tune with each other, which is fantastic. And um, I think we'll move on from automation. But before we do so, um, let's have a, a quick blast of part of the master, and then we can move on to another song. Um, but uh, you're going to play us a section that we haven't heard yet. Yeah, I'm going to like fast forward to two minutes. And I'm going to see what it sounds like there. Let's go. that you've explained the lyrics that they all make much more sense now you know that's why it makes sense that you're yeah. saying automation again and again and again we're doomed in so many ways we're creating our own doom though every single time absolutely the whoops you see it's things like the whoops that make it seem really live right yeah that's just me getting really jacked up and excited in my house like playing it really loudly yeah and pissing off my neighbors sorry <laughs> yeah <laughs> So this is Automation from KG by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. We're going to look at a song from LW, the partner album to this, in just a moment. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more conversation with Stu.
You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in, as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Tape Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favourite features within Tape It Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tape It sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favour. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give Tape It a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. So, Stu, the next song we're going to look at is If Not Now, Then When, which is from LW. And when KG first came out, um, although I know that there was conversation about it in the Gizverse, it wasn't clear that the two albums were going to be linked necessarily. So, you know, KG was called KG and it seemed, oh, wow, that seems like a really simple title for a King Gizzard album. Oh, it must mean King Gizzard, of course. And then LW is the other part of the band name. And that connects the two albums together, obviously. And it's something that we'll get into again, I suppose, when we're going to look at KG, LW, the song, which appears on both of the albums in different forms. But... When you realised you had an abundance of material for these two records, how did you decide to approach them? I mean, did you think, oh, we're going to do a double or no, we're going to split these up in a certain way and certain tracks are clearly destined to be together and certain other tracks are clearly destined to be together in a, on another record? I had this feeling that there was an opportunity to create two records with two distinct personalities. I also wanted to deliberately not work on 19 songs simultaneously it's too many like i can't fit that many ideas in my head at any one time so you know this sounds conceptually weak but part of it was just saying okay here's 10 songs that are sort of in a stage of like i can see this coming together i can see this being finished i'm talking about the songs we ended up choosing for kg we've got an intro that feels like an intro which was KGLW. We've got an outro that feels like an outro, which was The Hungry Wolf of Fate. There's a lot of songs in the middle that I like. I can see a sequence. It's like there is a puzzle. It's like you got 19 pieces, but it's kind of like, let's fit them together first. Let's just hit pause on the rest, clear some space in the brain and finish KG. 
to me, it's just a little bit more of an efficient way of working because I just need to clear that space. I know it sounds like it should be more thought out than that, but honestly, it's not. It's just like, I'm just finishing songs (laughs) one at a time, you know? Yeah, well, that seems perfectly understandable um, because you've tried different approaches many times and your work rate is unmatchable, really. I mean, if LW is the 17th album that King Gizzard and Lizard Wizard have released, then, you know, you've tried all sorts of ways and you'll know by now what works for you and and gives you some kind of sanity because in some ways, for many bands, the whole approach of the world of King Gizzard would be seen as insanity. Um, And even though you put out one, technically one album in 2020, you still put out six live albums and the demo collection that... We did a film as well, which was extraordinarily time-consuming and just a massive passion project. Like, I don't know how to make a film. Kind of just, it was amazing to work alongside essentially two people that made that film. It was very cool. Um, I think the, you know, the prolificness thing, uh, I like making music. It's really fun. It's like my favorite thing to do. I feel relieved when I do it. I feel stressless, you know, I don't have another job, you know, like, yeah, (laughs) I also do believe in the clearing of the mental space. Like I was saying before, and there is nothing better in the world for that than releasing something where you can't change it. You can't edit it. You know, I find it very hard to stop thinking about a song until it's on a physical medium that someone else can play. And I can't change that anymore. You know, it's incredibly liberating because I can stop thinking about like the automation riff in my brain. You know what I mean? It's going around in my head and my around in my head until it's finished and it's out and it's done. Okay. Next melody, next groove, next thing is stuck in my head. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like that. If not now, then when is a nice song to look at next because it's so completely different to automation. And it's it's like a few different worlds in one tune, (laughs) in a way, because it kind of starts with the sounds of a desert apocalypse, but then it gets kind of jazzy and part of it sounds a bit like it could have been sampled by Dr. Dre from some old record that he came across in the 1970s or something. So it has this whole other aspect to it, you know, that you've touched upon in some ways before, but, but not as well it it covers some new territory too so how did this one come about if if automation started from a jam that you started doing when you were meant to be doing something else is this more of a lockdown creation this one's lockdown i'm trying to think of the the order in which i should talk about this song because like you said it is kind of like bitty it's parts there's lots of sounds and lots of textures and things um i know the first thing that came together though it was i guess melodically and like harmonically it's using like a little bit of a different microtonal trick than is on any other song and i was trying to work out how to do it i guess there's a demo that i want to play you that's um it's just a phone recording but this is the only demo that exists of this song you can hear me just working it out it's loose it's but let me play it it's just a single acoustic guitar
don't even know why I record this. Like, clearly I wasn't ready to record this. <laughs> you know, it's... Yeah. So, I mean, look, in my mind, I thought there was a song in, in that. And usually I would have been excited and come to the band or at least Cavs, the drummer, and said, let's jam this idea. Like, I've got this idea and we'd, we'd spend time workshopping it until it became a thing. But this time I couldn't do that. It was just like I had this idea in these kind of sounds and textures and stuff in my head and it was just kind of about, like, putting it together in a way that I felt comfortable to give it to the other guys or share because I can't pass that around. It's like, what, what the fuck is that dude? You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, it could go in so many different ways, couldn't it? Right. From that. So I remember the first thing that came together was this extraordinarily loose clav, which is kind of, I don't know, getting a bit dorky, but that kind of like really loose unquantized kind of thing it's like real badly played but I wanted that sound so that's is that a clavinet setting or is it do you have a clavinet or I don't have a clavinet yeah no that's just messing around with with settings um I don't have like cool gear, you know. The only cool thing that I have is a tape machine and like some guitars and stuff, but I don't, I break everything. Right. I can't be trusted with like (laughs) $6,000 clavinets. It's just ridiculous. You know, don't give me that. I'll break it. Um, Anyway, so I remember bringing this guy in, which is. And is that just a drum machine loop? It's not it's a, a drum loop machine loop. Created. Yeah, yeah. That's it. And that was kind of like where this song sat for quite a while. It took me a while to bring in the melodies that I had in my head from the uh, that original acoustic demo that I sent you. I ended up singing most of them. They're kind of like, let's see if I can find it. Um, This is me messing with the melody on it, like electric piano. You can kind of hear me sort of like piecing it together there. Yeah. And so you would have sung that melody to yourself, then tried to replicate it on the electric piano, you know, until you kind of got it near to where you were, to what you were imagining. Yeah, a, a, a little bit of both. Hmm. I started singing like late, I guess. And so sometimes singing doesn't come naturally to me, if that makes sense. Sometimes I find it hard to have get the melody out of my head and out of my mouth. Sometimes I have a melody in my head and I find it easier to play it. Yeah. Not always, but with this song, it was like, it came out onto the keyboard before it came out of my mouth, if that makes sense. Right. 
Yeah. Um, so I, I like to firmly write melodies, especially when a song is built around it. Like I, I think this is. Yeah. Um, At what point did you share it with other members of the band? Probably here. It was yeah. probably in a slightly different form. I think um, there's probably keyboards that I've deleted that are just like loose. I think I recorded a vocal track on this pretty early too, which was the final vocal. I only recorded vocals on this once. There's only one vocal track. Right. Um, there's no harmonies. There's not even a double. Also not typical of Giz. Yeah. But let me try play it. It's like vocals, drum machine, loose claps. Maybe it was like this. So that's the only vocal. Yeah. And the one take of that vocal. Uh, it's 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 not one take. I'm not that good of a singer. <laughs> but it, it's comped. It's several takes comped into one. Right. It's three takes. I, I'm looking at it. It's three takes. And I've just gone, best bit, best bit. I hate doing that so much. It's my least favorite thing about making music. Right. I like literally want to walk out of the room in like disgust constantly when I do that. It doesn't matter if it's guitar or vocals or anything. I just hate it. But if I don't do it, like the other guys in the band who are more perfectionist than me will tell me that I have to, or they'll do it for me and they'll do it in a way that like irks me. They'll choose a bit that I knew there was a, a different bit. So I just have to do that comp stuff. I probably shouldn't mix Gizzard records because I don't have that attention to detail. I'm like obsessive, but I'm obsessive following like a tangent. I don't obsessively finish things. I'm not good at that. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Um, at this stage, I think Cav sent me some drums, which sound actually really dope. He doubled it, so there's two drum tracks. There's uh, almost no bass guitar in this song. I think I just liked it open. Yeah. We're kind of getting pretty close to a final version now. It's pretty sparse for a Giz track, this one. Yeah. I'll bring in a few more sounds. Did that drum part? Uh -huh. Did you take away the drum machine completely, or you kept it in there? It's in there sometimes. It's yeah. kind of chopped up. Right. You can hear it comes in here. There. It's in there. It's doing this. Yeah. Because on my first few listens to the song, I was trying to work out. Hang on a minute. Is that is that a drum machine? It sounds like a drum machine. And then it was like, no, but it sounds so loose. Yeah. It has to be a, a person. It's that nice combination of the two. There's two loose drum takes and a drum machine. Mm. Drum machine's kind of in the middle, and the two loose ones are hard panned. And then Cavs' kick drum's in the center as well, which is typical of Gears, actually. That kind of mixing is, is I, I like that. That's fun. They're mono recordings as well, which I also dig massively, especially with a double drum kit. So they're, um, I have recorded a lot of double drummers over the years, or, or tried to yeah. figure out how to make that work. 
And I have found that um, mono drums are good, especially if you can get your overhead in just the right place to capture the drum kit in like a lively but real, you know, just get that sound you want, especially if the drummer can play to you a little bit or move their cymbals around a little bit. Um, Cymbals usually further away from the mic, drums as close as possible to the mic and played more hard hardly <laughs> than the cymbals but usually that's how i often get drum calves to record his drums and that's how that song's recorded it's a mono overhead um right so just one mic just one mic and then the kick drums a separate mic but that's only in the middle yeah. are you able to demonstrate all those different yeah of course sections that would be interesting yeah of course so we've got drum machine i played this before we've got kick mic for some reason the processing's turned off but that's how it, uh, it sounded loose then we've got left drum kit, right drum kit. It's the same thing, but like together they sound dope. Yeah. They're not the same take. They're a different take of playing the same part. Um, you know, the fills are a little different, like one fill. It's actually chopped up, so it's got a little bit of a gap. This one's got similar, but different. And together it's... And when you chop them up, how um, specific do you get about chopping them up? I like to pretend I'm still working on a tape machine. You don't need to quantize it to the bar line. Just get your scissors out, chop it off. It's cool. Yeah. I think it sounds more natural. But anyway, here's yeah. all together. It's kind of a weird drum sound, but I like it. Yeah, it sounds great. And I think it's one of the keys to creating that live feel that all these different tracks from these albums have, even though you were all recording your parts separately and then combining them together afterwards, it still has that that kind of, it's a group, it's a band, they play together, that's what they do. Because that's in our minds, I think, you know, we picture King Gizzard all living it. I mean, I know it's not like this, but all living in a commune together and all kind of getting up and then just jamming for 12 hours and then <laughs> and then going to do something else. I mean, is, I, I wish. know that, yeah. <laughs> But but part of my vision of the band is locked into that that idea. You know, I'd like to make that dream a reality, John. <laughs> but I think it's the clever thing is that you're not afraid of um, of using technology to your advantage, though, and using the tools at hand. You know, you kind of got to isolate from each other, but you can carry on making music together. You can communicate and you can develop an idea, and to a point that you then want to share it with other people and then they can react to that and share their reaction to you and then you carry on from there. I mean, so much of my favorite music was made before computers, you know, but I wouldn't have a career if it wasn't for a computer. Like I'm like the biggest computer geek of them all. You know, I love this thing. It is literally the most important instrument I own. Yeah. I'm lucky to live in this time, I think. Um, you know, we've made records all to tape and, and tried to not touch computers and things like that. I'm, I'm also keen for that. That's a cool kind of like creativity, like uh, make a box so you explore the box, you know, so you yeah. go to the corners. You make a box so you explore all the corners of the box. Sometimes if you don't make a box, you get lost. Um, I'm down for that too, but I love tech. It's the best. Yeah. And going back to, if not now, then when, so we've heard... Cavs drums and how you 
recorded those, then put them together. Um, how did the track progress then? Because with with the start, there's this kind of white noise, you know, what I've described as a desert apocalypse, and then you can hear some kind of cymbal crashes. But then that links in. You wouldn't necessarily expect that to link in to the body of the song, in a way. I wouldn't make that call on a lot of Gizzard records, but it's in my kind of... Uh my colorful theme for this record. I like that it just is a completely new texture. Um, The intro as well, I think we made a call that this song would join onto Hungry Wolf of Fate, which is kind of like sludgy and heavy and distorted and like naughty and stuff. And we made that call that it should come after it. So it's the bridge. It bridges those two. The white noise is actually, it's actually due to distorting an electric uh, acoustic guitar mic. When I recorded this, I didn't have my electric guitar with me. I only had my acoustic guitar, which is, yeah, one of the few instruments that I have that is tuned microtonally. So this intro part, which ends up sounding like this. It's just like if I I recorded it like this, which is quite funny. And there's the double. And I just like really, really fucked them up like that. Amazing. And wh- how are you messing around with them then? On what what were you applying to them? Literally just like Ableton stock plugins. I don't really have a lot of favorite plugins or toys or tricks. I kind of, yeah, a big part of me likes to not know what I'm doing too much with that stuff. Actually, that sounds really stupid. That's actually not really true. I do have a few favorites, but for stuff like this, I like to find a plugin or use something that I haven't used a lot and sort of just find a sound. Because you couldn't make this kind of like guitar fuzz on an electric guitar. You know, it's got a certain hair to it that's hard to get with an electric guitar. It's like a microphone close to an acoustic guitar string and then sort of like fuzzed in post. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it sounds great. And it's really interesting because in some ways hearing the acoustic in its um, raw recording state links that back to that phone recording of your first idea for the song. Yeah, it's actually not so different. Yeah, it's actually just it. <laughs> it's just what it is. Yeah. So I came back to it, I didn't even realise I did it. Yeah, but it's great because it's all interlocked and then we've got the main body of the song, which is this whole other thing that you created after your phone demo, you know, the combination of the different keyboards, which sounds so great. And maybe we should hear them all combined now um, yeah. in the finished product. Let's do a snippet. Um, this one is a simple one. So here we've got just a Wurlitzer doing microtonal kind of like, it sounds weird by itself actually. There is a bass line. 
only part there's a bass line in. We've got some Ambrose playing harmonica. It's also a, a little uh, flute patch. This is like just re-pitched, sampled, like logic. It's like not cool sounding or anything, but it's, I think it's cool because it's kind of like we re-pitched all the notes. Make it sound nasty, which sounds like this together. Yeah, that's kind of the jam. Yeah, it sounds great. I mean, there's all those different elements. You know, you say it's a simple song, and it is, but there's all those different elements in there nonetheless. And when you put them together, it creates quite an impression. Thanks. And so all those last elements, are they played by you? Like the bass? Did Who did the bass? The bass is Lucas, who is right. our, our yeah. bassist. He, there's harmonica is Ambrose. The mm. flute patch is Cookie. He also did, there's, there's a vibraphone which kind of comes in and out, which does some textural stuff. The drums are all calves and uh, the keyboards and the vocals are me. Yeah. That's it. So it's a, a real group effort and a good illustration of, of how you went from your phone demo to the slightly more evolved demo that you created with the keys that you then shared with the band. And then the other people came up with these other ideas that you put together and suddenly it's all one. It is typical of how this record came together, actually. Not every song was just like this, but this was kind of the standard way. It was like demo idea, someone kind of like makes a bass. It's like a pizza bass, passes it around. You add your toppings. Someone's got to take a few off, do the mix, heat it up. Something comes out. <laughs> you, might eat, you might eat it, you might not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then, you know, the result is, if not now, then when? Um, let's, let's hear the finished thing then, just a little section of it. Right on. It is If Not Now Then When from the LW album and we're going to look at some other songs from these two albums in just a moment. So now, Stu, we're going to look at the song that is both on KG and LW and it's handily called KG LW, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. And especially the, the second version on LW becomes almost like the anthem of the band or could potentially be the anthem of the band in that there's a lot of chanting of KG LW. 
that's what the crowd will be chanting, waiting for you to get on stage. And when you've gone off stage, they'll be chanting it again, hoping that you'll come back. Um, <laughs> how did this song come about then? Um, because it's quite interesting. So the, the KGLW version on KG starts the album and it's quite gentle. And then the KGLW, which is on LW, is quite a different thing. And um, I was going to say it's quite a different monster because it is a kind of more monstrous version of the tune, but it's much more expanded and, and has all this other stuff going on. So how did you approach this and where did this come from? I mean, there's a lot of songs that were kind of made for these records. You know, 19 that we ended up using. This was one of the last it was the very last that came together for KG, that's for sure. This intro was. And the record needed a theme song. Uh, it, was, it honestly was kind of as simple as that. And the gentle kind of like folk song theme was what was first. But as soon as I kind of got this riff down and sent it around, it was something that more than one person said, like, we need to do this as, as like a doom metal version. Yeah. And I was like, ah. Oh, I didn't think about that. You know, that's not what I had in mind, but cool. All right. So soon after that, the kind of like, you know, Doom version sort of started to come together. I'm kind of probably jumping ahead a little bit here, but it was short, like the intro, and it was going to be the, the theme song for album two and, and um, open album two at that stage or LW, but it just kept growing. And then I started tapping into this idea of a linear thing where there's stacks of riffs and heaps of ideas and melodies and stuff and nothing necessarily repeats. I mean, the only thing that repeats is the theme and it, it repeats a couple of times in the middle and the end, which is something I just wanted to explore, like more linear songwriting, you know, instead of kind of like more of a circular thing, which is what I kind of like gravitate towards generally. Anyway, I guess we should dive into it. Yeah, let's dive into it. So we'll hear the, the folkier version first, I presume, the KG version. Do you know what? We should play some demos because I have, yes. I've got three demos. They're all just phone recordings again. Um, I'll play this first one. It's very, very loosely the riff. So it's when I'm thinking about this theme song, I'm trying to nut out the melody. I think I know what I was hearing, you know, I was, it's in a scale that I hadn't used before. So there's sort of like a melodic, I keep saying texture today, but like there's a texture in it that I hadn't hit up before at this stage. So it's that sort of, um, when you kind of like droning over a note a lot of the time, to me, it doesn't matter what order you play the notes. It's about the fact that they all exist on top of each other. It's like a modal thing. I like approaching music that way. It's especially when you're sitting, it's sitting in this seven, four kind of like groove. It's like dun, 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 dun. To me, it's like, it's almost less important the order that you play the notes. It's the fact that the notes are in a scale and they're all played in a rhythm. 
I think that's what yeah. I that's what I hear in it, you know, and it just took a little while to finesse that idea. But I'll play the second version. This is from like two months later. So it's, I don't know, I'm still just thinking about that idea. It's an unplugged acoustic, uh, electric guitar by the sound of it. But it is in there, it's in there. I don't know, I'm just noodling. I mean, even I, I hear the second time, I hear the riff there, I'm, I'm actually 5% closer to to it again yeah this is kind of typical of how i write it's like people say oh you guys release a lot of records you must get into the studio and make an album it's like nah it takes us years to make albums it's just that we're usually working on lots of things at the same time yeah here's take three this is again a couple of months later coming together anyway that's yeah. um that's my writing process and then it's like i think when i'm there i'm like okay i'm i'm close enough i can put the phone down now you know like i can get off the couch right probably multitasking i'm probably doing something else but that's when i'm like okay i need to like open my laptop or like get out some kind of like proper microphone or something and put this down but anyway i'll play you how this started to come together the first thing I recorded was uh, were these guitars, which is just the same thing, but it's properly finessed. And that's too identical, similar to the drum kind of thing. It's mono acoustic recordings that are panned hard. I'm playing the same thing, but I also overdubbed two more octave down like this so there's four acoustics there to record those are you placing uh -huh. a mic in front of your acoustic guitar and playing it or are you putting it straight into the no it's a mic it's um the acoustic guitar that i have that is tuned microtonally doesn't have a pickup or anything yeah. It's also like worth a hundred bucks. It's like really shit and hard to play and the action's insanely high. It hurts my fingers a lot, <laughs> but um, it sounds kind of cool recorded. Uh, it's all of the acoustics on the record are this, the same guitar, it's one guitar. Um, yeah. But knowing me, it's probably like this microphone that I'm using to record. It's a M88. I think I used it a lot on this record. Um, 
I like it because it sounds decent and it's small and I like can put it in my hand and stuff. I hate yeah. like huge microphones that you need pop filters and, and like heaps of paraphernalia. It's probably also the audio sort of like purists are going to hate me for this, but it's probably also just sitting on my table, just like on the edge, just sitting there. And I'm probably like just sitting in front of it with my guitar, right. which is probably bad for some reason, maybe vibrating. I don't know, but yeah, I do that a lot, which I think is just going back to the idea of just getting that thing from your brain down as quickly as possible. Like if it sounds 1% worse, like I don't, I don't really care. I'm just yeah. happy to, to get it down. Yeah. But don't take advice from me about recording techniques. Like no one should, <laughs> no one should ever do that. <laughs> um, yeah. And then it's sort of just like overdubbed and, and fleshed out COVID style with sounds. Um, there's a percussion kind of like layer, which is just stuff like sounds like this. And who's doing that? That's me. That's you. That's me in my like bedroom. The bass is a, the bass I actually like. It's not like cool or anything though. It's a keyboard. Cause to me it has this like, I don't know. I like the sound of it. It sounds weird. What I hate about music heaps <laughs> is when like a snare always sounds like a snare and when like a bass guitar always just sounds like a bass guitar or like a hi-hat just sounds like the hi-hat that you've heard a million times. It's like I hate how sometimes you, a band will go to a studio and they sound like sick on stage and then they go to a studio and like you hear their recording and it just sounds the same as something that you've heard before and like they sounded awesome before they recorded but then the engineer made their snare sound like a snare even though their snare sounded like a cardboard box you know yeah i gravitate towards like a bass guitar that sounds kind of off or like a hi-hat that sounds kind of strange or something yeah um there's a uh, ambrose um this is a microtonal harp which is just like a harmonica reeds you can repitch. They actually go out of tune when you play them a lot. They're just like a metal. It's like a tiny little reed, but you can pitch them. It's not such a hard instrument to tune microtonally, actually. But here's his part. It's a simple thing. It's like the theme song. It's kind of what I wanted to do. And it's all it ever was for a while until the kind of idea for a heavy version came up. Oh, there's one little little touch which is interesting. When I sort of locked this in as the first track for KG, I wanted to put a linking piece to Flying Microtonal Banana. So the last track on Flying Microtonal Banana actually plays in reverse at the very start of this recording which sounds like this. So this is how Flying Rectangle Banana 
ends, I guess. And that's how this record starts. Yeah. It's just that, just a little sound. Yeah. That felt like an obvious thing to do to me. Yeah, yeah. So in, in terms of, so there isn't actually any flute then on... on uh, there's this. a bunch of, um, again, it's um, re-pitched. It's sampled and re-pitched like sounds. So there's there's a bunch, like here it is together, but it's just like a bunch of sounds which like by themselves are kind of, I don't know, random or whatever. But the thing that I find interesting is that they're re-pitched to kind of like fit this microtonal scale. So there's a, let me drop it out one by one. There's one up top. One's doing that. This one's doing that. That's doing that. And then you stack them together. You can, I don't know if you can hear that they're all panned in different places. Yeah. It's tempting in like Western culture to just like make a thousand harmonies of everything. But sometimes you just, everything needs to just play the same melody at the same time and be in different octaves. Like that's the idea of this one. Yeah. Everything's playing the same thing. I love that. That's a trope of ours actually, but I'm very big on that particular trope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, fair enough. It works so well. And is it, where does the the flute come from in the world of of King Gizzard. Generally? Yeah, well, in, just in terms of it seems such a a great part of your overall sound, the way it suddenly appears in different songs at different points. It's like, oh, wow, and there's the flute. I mean, is it just one of those instruments that you're able to play so you kind of bring it in? I spent a lot of time learning how to play it. Like, I picked up flute in 2013 or something. Giz was already a thing. We'd already made a few records, and it was just a challenge just from something that was not related to anything I already do. But I'm drawn to flute because of what it represents. Like it represents so much of the opposite of what King is, is that it draws me to it with its um, delicateness. Mm. I like how delicate it is. You know, I like making heavy, gnarly, brutal, hard, music sometimes but i'm not like a scary hard brutal guy like i'm kind of like a delicate soft gentle fella right i like the flute <laughs> it's as simple as that <laughs> yeah no i love it i mean it works so well and you're right i mean it adds such a complete contrast to so much of of the music and the way that you wield it creates that contrast. I just wondered because it seemed like one of those instruments that maybe was something that you picked up very young and that was a, a kind of fundamental part of you. Do you know what I mean? Some people often learn on a particular instrument and then they transfer. Um, I didn't do that, yeah. I'd had it for six months or maybe a year and I I tried to pick it up every day, but it would be like 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. Like, But it, yeah, it wasn't until 2014 and we spent like months and months on tour and I just had it with me constantly. Like I was always just like messing with it and noodling with it and um, starting to kind of like bring it out on stage or try to work it into recordings. Yeah. And um, I actually don't play it a lot anymore, but 
I do love it. It's like truly such a beautiful sound. Yeah, yeah, totally. So um, we are going to move on to the next version of KGLW. But before we do, let's hear a quick blast of, of the finished thing. Let's do that. Chilling in the middle right now. And of course, on KG, this segues into automation. That's right. In a beautiful way. But after your bandmate said, you know what? We need to make a heavy version of KGLW. So they sowed that seed and you let it grow inside your brain. (laughs) Yeah, Um, it kept growing. It kept growing. So how did you proceed then with the evolution of the other version of KGLW? There was a version, and I couldn't find it, but there was a version that was um, similar in structure to the version from KG, but just like chug, chuggy chug, you know. And I guess that's what I thought that everyone meant, but it was kind of like boring and pointless. So it was sort of just trying to find a way to bring back a song in a way that was uh, necessary, I suppose. Anyway, like I was saying, there was a version of it that existed that was similar composition to the first one that um, it felt wrong. So the idea was to work on this linear songwriting thing where ideas come in and they don't come back. I don't know whether anyone else processes this song like this, but Kaz, the drummer, and I uh, kind of like feel time signature groove dorks. And I don't know how many people will pick up on this, but each time the it brings in a new riff, it changes time signature and it like adds a one. There's a groove here that is barely a groove because I'm calling it one, but it's it's just got one note. And then we move to this next feel, which kind of has two beats. Kaz ended up changing it, but it's 4-4 really, but I'm calling it two. We move into a triplet feel, like a three. We go back to four. Then we're in five. You might call it 10. I call it five. Then we're in six. And then we get back to seven, which is right here. We get to the thing. It goes on. We get to 21. Wow. 
but <laughs> but this was kind of like the theme and it was like i want people to listen to this who don't give a shit about that like i want people to listen to this who don't care about that or know or but that was the idea anyway so yeah i can keep going actually i go up in twos here so we go seven nine eleven thirteen fifteen seventeen nineteen twenty one should we do that i think we should no okay see it through to at the end let's see a thing through here's nine And then we hit 11. Thirteen. This one lingers a bit. This one's a fun one. I like this groove, actually. This is about five minutes in or so. Yeah. So it's quite a big dramatic change within the recording. Right. 15. Seventeen. You could of course count these in smaller segments, you know what I mean? Like a five yeah. and a five and a seven or something. But I count seventeen. Nineteen. Couple of bars of four four to reorient yourself. Just to kind of like screw your head back together. And then uh, back to the theme. I really love the way that with the band and with the music, you know, you, you have ideas and you follow them through that satisfy your own sense of curiosity and experiment. But that necessarily. I'm glad you can say that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, the normal listener or the average listener wouldn't necessarily be engaging with that aspect of it. But there's also this hypnotic stoner groove that is the theme, but also draws people into a kind of more straight ahead chant like aspect at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I I think so. Um, honestly, we are really just making music to dork out with each other. But it is a nice um, tool. You know, so many of our songs have come together with ideas like this. It's just like a stupid idea. Like you have this idea and sometimes you just have to see it through because you don't know what will happen if you do. Yeah. And in terms of the that melody that being KGLW, you know, chanting those letters, did that come from the music? Like I said, the, um, the theme song for KG came together very late in a piece. It was the last piece of the puzzle for that record because it needed a theme. And I think it was around this time that we had made the call to make two records and to name them KG and LW. Actually, that was Jason's idea, who's kind of our uh, artist who does all of our cover art 
and he had this idea to yeah, create like a sculptural piece that had KGLW. And I was like, oh yeah, so that should definitely be the album name. And he was like, yeah, I guess so. That's a, that's cool. So it was kind of Jason's sort of idea, but I think whatever we named the record would have been what we chanted. Right. <laughs> like if the record was named something else, I think that's what the chant would have been. Yeah. And are there any other words in that track? There aren't many. It's all sort of just around, around that. It's not supposed to be a word thing. Right. It's about power <laughs> and extremeness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I guess in a way showing the two sides of the band and the sound. You know, so you've got the beautiful gentle side that you were telling us about, you know, the links into you being a gentle fella. And then you've got the the heavy dark side, which is kind of really a play. You know, it, it, it's you playing with that idea of being heavy monsters. I think you're allowed to do that when you're a band. Oh, totally. I think, yeah. Yeah, I like that. It feels natural to me to play a character, especially when making music. Yeah. Some people like to write super honestly. That's cool. I do that occasionally too. But I think uh, I've only got so many stories to tell, you know, that are about me. My life's like, yeah, it's cool, it's sweet, it's fine. It's kind of just whatever. I like stories about humanity and stuff more. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think from what you've said that in many ways making the music is you in itself. You know, you, you feel most at home when you're playing music. And so, you know, while some people might use music to unlock their inner soul and their inner feelings, you do that by just playing the music. You know, you're expressing that through the music itself. I think there is an element of me that is the, the first part that you said, you know, like finding yourself through your music. But a lot of the time I find it's more like expulsion of energy. I think I'm like a naturally highly strung person. I'm like wound up naturally. And I'm an ultra relaxed person if I'm making stuff, you know, that's how I find my peace. So I think it's kind of like more of a physicality thing for me. Yeah. Yeah, you need to do this. You, know, you, <laughs> you have to do it. Yeah, right. Otherwise, I'm like grumpy and stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's great that you know this about yourself. I mean, I think for many of us, we don't necessarily know this about ourselves and, and struggle for different reasons because of that. You know? um, I, I think I figured it out when I was a teenager and I was sort of got really into drawing and stuff that I just... Yeah, I just feel I just feel good making things. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it it totally is. Um, are there any th any other elements of KGLW that we need to hear? Uh there certainly are. Like, there's an intro which um. There's this uh, initial theme. Which, you know, it's meant to link to the first part or the original. Yeah. It was uh, recorded last, I guess, as a bridge to make it, in my mind, make more sense. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, look, it's honestly a simple recording. Guitars sound like that. It's um for the guitar nerds. It's actually really not very metal. It's like a Fender 
Hot Rod Deluxe that's just on max. <laughs> it's on like 10, <laughs> which is, um, yeah, like really fucking loud, but also just has this particular sound. There's no pedals. No pedals or no anything else. It's just guitar into amp turned up loud, which I guess is actually pretty metal, but the, the amp isn't very metal, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, the drums are mono again because I thought we were going to do a second drum take and we never did. So I did a couple of tricks to it. Uh, this is the drum take. There's sort of like an EQ, which is slightly different on the left and the right ear because it's a mono microphone. Um, that's right down the middle, except for the stereo verb. And that's with the little left and the right ear candy. It's small, but I think it gives it a tiny bit of space. Guitars. That's four guitars. There's four electric guitars for the entire song. Occasionally there is two overdubs, like this part. Which is six electrics. They're all the exact same guitar with the exact same amp settings. Which again is like just probably practicality. It's like, you know, pen to page in um, efficiency. Uh, there's a wah pedal that I plugged into the chain sometimes. There it is. There's a few wows and stuff. The bass guitar is pretty unorthodox. It's doubled. It sounds like this. It sounds like yucky. It's two layers. It's a electric guitar with like a pitch down effect on a laptop, which has a cable running to an amp from the computer and then played. It's got like a latency and everything. It was really annoying to play. But it's pitched down on the computer and then sent out to an amp. Right. Um, but that's blended with this like keyboard bass. I didn't have a bass guitar that could play low enough. It's honestly like a disgusting bass sound, but I suppose that's kind of works. And all in it's... It's just fattening it up. That's like honestly pretty much it. There's a handful of vocals that kind of come in. Oh, actually, there's something that I don't have in my session that I should talk about, but I can't play because I don't have it. We finished this song. This record was done. The whole, the both records were done. LW was done. We... We had a mastering date booked. Uh, it was like tomorrow or something. It was like the next day. And Joe called me and he was like, uh, dude, I have this idea for KGLW. And I was like, do you know we're mastering tomorrow? And he's like, yeah, but it's good. And I was like, okay, sweet. What is it? He's like, I've been sampling MRI machines and like gunshots and chainsaws and like really scary noises and I've been playing them over this song. I've got like a sequence and I was like, okay, that sounds perfect. <laughs> so you can hear them through the song. I would play them, but you know, I bounced out the track. It was done. It was like a wave file. It was like a song. It was done. It was... 
and Joe literally overdubbed on top of it and sent it back to me and was like, I think this is done. <laughs> we finessed it a couple of times forward and backwards, but we just flattened it on top of the flattened track. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I think what we can do is we'll use that as our end, you know, after we've finished our conversation and we'll use it as the outro and we can, you know, people can yeah. have a listen out for all these extra sounds that, that Joe yeah. added to the final thing to add to the... Um, the chaos Perfect. that you were creating. Um, we always like to ask people about equipment and whether they have a favourite piece of kit. And it was interesting earlier on you said, oh, you know, I'm not bothered about plugins. I don't have any particular things that I, I use. But I mean, your favourite piece of kit could be a particular guitar or a particular instrument or a particular microphone. Now, do you have anything like that? Guitar-wise, you know, in this theme, I have to say the Flying Microtonal Banana, which was the guitar which inspired that record and then is you know the electric guitar on uh, almost all of this record that's easy that's maybe a favorite thing even if it's not what i always play um gear wise i'm gonna kind of like break the mold and just say my laptop i make so much music on it so much of the time i don't have a traditional instrument at all on ableton and logic and stuff i've always tracked bits with the like musical typing keyboard. I don't know if other people that you ever talk to do that. Yeah, they do. But like you can, yeah, you can like, you don't even need a MIDI keyboard. Like G is G, I always just remember that. And you can, <laughs> it's, it's sweet. Heaps of gears, keys, parts are just recorded like that. I always sit on the plane and I'm like doing that and people always look at me and it's like, this guy's weird, what's he doing? <laughs> easily, laptop, easily my favorite piece of gear. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other question we like to ask everybody is whether they have any advice that they would pass on to other people. And in some ways, I mean, you're in a great position here, having released 17 albums now and uh, almost countless live albums, these film projects, the side projects. You know, you, you've got an awful lot of experience under your belt now, Stu. You know, do you have, <laughs> have some really amazing wisdom <laughs> that you can share? I'm an old hand. <laughs> um... I think it's important to not worry too much what other people say. I'm sure everyone says that, but it's so insanely true. I think you have to primarily do it for you. You have to manage your ego because there are so many opportunities for it to get bruised and broken, especially if you're constantly putting yourself out there like you do if you're on tour or you're releasing music. This is a personal one, but for me, King Gizzard started around the time that I realized that it was helpful for me to release music regularly. And it's that clearing of the brain space thing and just saying done and giving it away and showing people and not being too precious about it. I would also say, trust yourself that um, if you keep on writing or you keep on creating that eventually something good will come. It's like, rolling the dice eventually you'll roll a 12 you know i mean that's not to say that you're going to make it hit or something but i think remembering that everyone makes stuff that they hate and they're really not proud of as well as is super important and even the people that you are most inspired by make music that you would listen to and think well that really stinks you know <laughs> i think keeping that in mind is super important i think it's all about managing your ego and your expectations. And it's the only way for me that allows me to continue to be creative 
is to keep those things in check because I have to come into like a creative zone just feeling sort of somewhat free of like anxiety that I'm going to be judged for what I do or anxiety that what I do is going to be shit. Cause if I feel like that, I won't do anything. So basically everything I do is mitigating that. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I mean, I, I find that absolutely fascinating. It's been so good to speak to you, Stu. Thank you so much for digging into all these different uh, demos and stems and uh, different parts to explore the songs on KG and LW. And now we're going to hear the finished version of KGLW, or at least a section of it. And what we've got to listen out for are these this last-minute edition that Joey made of this this kind of collage, a kind of collage of machinery. That's right. Thank you so much. Our pleasure. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show. I'm just one part of the team that brings you tape notes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. To ask a question on a future episode or find out who's coming up, head to our socials and on Instagram you can see pictures from the recording sessions for each episode of Tape Notes. Once again, thanks for listening. Until next time, goodbye.